right? If you would, please open your Bibles to the book of Romans. To the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 8, where we left off last week. Romans 8, and we will be picking up and finishing chapter 8, starting with verse 31 through 39. And as you do that, let's, why don't we read through just through what we're going to be uh, capturing here today. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a change who shall bring a cha charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the, at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you've been following along with this, you'll know that in chapter 8 alone, that we recognize and we know that there is no condemnation for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That in that relationship with Jesus, that there is no condemnation because we share the righteousness of God and the law cannot condemn us any longer. We also learn that there is no obligation. And because we have the spirit of God who empowers us to overcome the flesh and live for God. We also learned last week that there is no frustration because we share the glory of God, the blessed hope of Christ's return. So because we are not condemned, we're free. We're not, there's, not obligate, there's no obligation to follow our sinful flesh anymore. There's no longer a frustration of the world having control of us, that we know that this is temporary, that Christ is coming back for us. We know that we don't have to even be... That, that today we will see there was no separation from Christ as well. We're security in Christ. And today's title is called Secured in God's Love because there is no longer do we need to fear the past. We no longer need to fear our present situations we find ourselves in. And we no longer have to fear about the future that is ahead of us. Because we are secured in the love of Christ Period. That is our foundation that we live by. Now let's look, let's look at some of the facts that we have already experienced so far in chapter 8. Paul presented 
provided very clear information for us. And I'm just going to highlight those to understand how he draws conclusion here in these last few verses for us. First of all, it's a fact. As children of God, we have been adopted into his family, verse 15 of chapter 8. Fact. We are co-heirs with Christ, verse 17. Fact. We have received the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of final redemption, verse 23. Fact. Our prayers are taken up by the Holy Spirit and laid before God himself, verse 26. Fact. Though we are sinners by nature, but through faith we have been acquitted of all wrong, verse 30. Fact. Our future glorification is so certain for us that God speaks of it as already have taken place, also verse 30. So it is the amazing grace of God that we base our entire life on. That it's through his amazing grace of God when we realize that God's plan of salvation for people is perfect. And it's perfect and it was always perfect plan that he laid out and it reaches not only eternity past but eternity future which God will carry out in a perfect way. Not according to our way but his way. And today we will see Paul will ask and answer seven key questions to drive home this point for you and I today. Seven questions he will ask, and seven questions he will also answer for you and I today. Because this truth that believers' eternal salvation is completely secured in God's loving hands, and we can rest in that. That's where our peace, our joy comes up, because we can rest in the loving hands of Christ. So verse 31 we see of Romans 8 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So the very first two questions that he proposes here in this verse is very simple. The first one he says, what then shall we say to these things? What things is he referring to? He's referring to all those facts I mentioned, those especially in verses 28 through 30. And all you can do is if you really ponder on what you just read and understood and heard, all you and I can do is, as we were singing today, is say hallelujah. Praise God for what he has done for you and for me. That's all we can say. That's all we can do is say hallelujah. And then after you understand those facts that he provides so clearly to us, then he asks this next question and he answers for us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's a very clear and concise information here. Because if, if all we had were those very first few chapters, chapters 1 through 7 of Romans, and if that's where we stopped, then you and I would draw the conclusion that God really doesn't love us. Because they were really heavy chapters. Those are really heavy conversations and topics about the fact that when we're not saved, we are condemned. 
that there is an obligation to follow your flesh. You'll just naturally follow your flesh. You'll be self-internalizing, and you will just do nothing but your flesh. And you'll go, I have no hope because my flesh controls me. If we were living apart from Christ, we would have all the frustrations of the world. Nothing would be working out the way we want it. We get so frustrated and so out of control emotionally that we drive us ourselves crazy. And of course, crazy in everybody around us. Because remember, our frustration never affects just us. It affects everyone around us and everyone in earshot. And then we would no longer, if we were not in secured in Christ's relationship with Christ, then we would also, as we will see today, we will be separated you will not have a oneness with Christ. You remember those days, don't you? Before you gave your life to Christ? How separated, how empty and void that was in your heart? And then when you gave your life to Christ, how that fulfilled that, that longing void and emptiness that you tried to fill with the things of this world and the things of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh, pride of life. That all went away when you gave your life to Christ. Now, because there's no more separation. And so Paul brings it home very clear to us. The things are going to come against you. People are going to come against you. The world system is going to come against you. Your flesh will come against you. But if God is for us, who can be against us? No one stands a chance. But God. All you have to do is ask yourself, think about what's going on in your life, and you just say, oh, but God is with me. That's a multiplier that is, is, is conquerable over anything and anyone who would come against a child of his. Now, most people will say or think that God is for them. You've met them. We used to be like them. Do you know God? Oh, of course I know God. Is God for you? Oh, of course God's for me. Isn't he for everyone? He died for everybody. He, he loves everybody. We're all accepted. doesn't matter. All those terms you would hear. But as we know in the scriptures, certain people are very deceived thinking that God is with them. But they're really not with them. He's actually not walking with them. They think it. Ask some of the cultists that are out there following a very, very de detailed religion. They think they're saved. They think God is with them. Think terrorists. What terrorists do in the name of God, they think God is with them. God is not with them. So yes, people can get deceived thinking they are following a God that they think God is with them, but they're not. But we also nevertheless see the fact that the Holy Spirit, who is inside a believer, guards them and protects them and obviously does not condemn or obligate or frustrate or even separate. But this is why this key verse here of what Paul, or Paul says is, if God is for us. Who can be against us? And God is only for us if we are reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. If we have that personal relationship. Just remember, God is for you. If you've given your life to Christ, God is for you. That is what 
Paul is saying. He went through that whole frustration. Oh, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know I need to do? He was frustrated in his Christian life. And now in chapter 8 here, he's sitting there. No, no, no. I've got a relationship with Christ. That settles it. I don't have to get boggled in my mind of my past or my present future. I am settled the fact that Christ, God, loves me. And we as believers need to enter into each day realizing God is for us. We should wake up every morning, God, I know you're for me. I know you're with me. I know you're going to go before me. I know you're going to empower me to do the things you're calling me to do today. Oh, what's, what peace and joy that would start your day. Because he's had a plan for your whole life, a life journey that began before the beginning of the ages. And now he's working it out before your eyes day by day. Day by day, he's working out a journey that he has planned already for you. And likewise, despite the suffering Christians face today, if God is for them, what does it matter if others are against them. Have you ever really thought about that? If God is for you as a Christian and people come against you, what does that matter? Your security is in Christ. Satan and his demonic hosts love to come against you. They are designed in their mind today to come against you. And they look for opportunities to constantly come against you. And the challenges that many Christians have is they put Satan on an equal playing ground or, play, or the same power, the same like characteristics as God. And that is not true. Satan doesn't have the same characteristics of God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere. Satan is not. But many think so at times. Satan is not infinite. He's finite. He's a created being. Like an archangel, like Michael or Gabriel. He might be at that level. And we see where they can, they, they tousled and they butt heads there in Daniel chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. But he is no match for God. So yes, the world will come against you and I as a Christian. Your flesh will rear its ugly head at times and come against you. The devil will scheme and look to accuse you and come against you personally. Working through a vessel or a vehicle as a means to come after you. But they can never, ever stand up to God who helps you and I. He's the one that will strengthen you through those moments. He works to present, to, to works out in us presently a, this faultless before his glorious presence of great joy that we see in Jude 24. That's what we hold on to. That's what gives us strength to walk through that day, regardless of what is happening at work or in the neighborhood or in the family. God loves you and he's with you. And with his power, with his might, with his wisdom, with his direction, 
as you follow him. He brings you through those moment by moments of darkness that you find yourself in. In verse 32, we see evidence that Paul presents that God is for us. And he presents the number one thing, and that is a gift, a free gift called Jesus Christ. Look at that, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Since God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for you and I. Delivered him to death for you and I. How how and or will he not only give us gracious ultimate gift of his own son lavishly, but he's also going to give us right there in the scripture, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things that's going to help us? 1 Peter 1, verses 18 9 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as, a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What an ultimate gift that he has given you and I to show as evidence that God is for us. It's an immeasurable greatness of God's love seen here. Immeasurable. How do you even measure how much God loves you and I? Except it brings us back to the fact that he gave his only begotten son for the whole world. But personalize it for you. What a... a, infinite sacrifice on our, on our behalf. And so what that speaks to you and I is the fact that God is by nature a giving and gracious God. So God will not hesitate to give believers all things pertaining to and leading to their ultimate sanctification. And we saw that reference before in 2 Peter 1.3. So as evidence that God gave his son to die on the cross for you and I, he is also going to follow through and give to you and I whatever is needed to bring about sanctification in your life. He's, he's faithful. He's going to start this work in your life. He's going to be finished that work in your life, Paul is saying here. But then we see in verse 33 through 39 not only is there's a gift of Jesus Christ, but there is security of the believer in God's love. That's why we're calling the message today Secured in God's Love. Here, verse 33, it says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So the very first thing he brings up is almost like a legal term. Who's going to charge you? Who's going to stand in front of the judge and charge you for something you've done wrong? Who's going to dare to do that in, in front of, uh, against God's elect, you and I as a Christian? We are secured from every charge against us. Did you know that? 
if we are declared not guilty by the highest judge, Jesus Christ himself, who can bring additional charges against you and I? Those are worthless charges. The judge already declared you're not guilty. You're free. Because we are God's elect. We chose Christ and accepted in Christ. God is not charging me with sin. He has declared me righteous in Christ. Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. But who does charge us? Who does try to come and cast doubt and cast things into your life? Satan does that. Satan loves to accuse you and me day and night. Satan is identified as the accuser of God's people. Read Revelation 12.10. Satan loves to use the believer's sinfulness against them. You make a one mistake and boy, the, Satan loves to come against you and put that in your face. God doesn't do that. Satan loves to charge us with our past failure, incompetence, and weakness, and, and never-ending evil offenses presently. God doesn't do that. But God, says right here in this verse, says, He had justified me. He has made you and me like we've never sinned before. As white as snow. Not a spot. As snow. God doesn't accuse me. The judge himself declares the accused person righteous on the basis of faith alone in Christ alone. Go back and read Romans chapter 3, verse 24, and Romans 5, 1. We are secured in God's love. Regardless of how we feel at times, and regardless of what other people think. In verse 34, we see who is he who condemns. Not only people going to come and try to charge you against with something, falsely charge you, they will actually come and he, he, who is he who's going to condemn? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Not only who is, who's, crazy enough to even try to condemn you as a child of God. Christ died for you. And he lives. And he's at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for you. Who would, who would in their right mind would come and try to condemn you? Well, God doesn't condemn you. We are secured from all condemnation. If Christ himself is our advocate promoting on our benefit and our behalf, who can condemn us? God is not condemning you. Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it, John 12, 47. So it's not God condemning me, but God the Holy Spirit can convict me. The Holy Spirit can work in my life by convicting me of sin, but he is not condemning me. Condem condemnation comes from Satan's work. What's the difference between 
condemnation of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Well, when Satan condemns you and me, I want to run from God and from his people. His condemnation drives me from God and the things of God. He convinces me that God wants nothing to do with me, and I have no right to approach God based on what I have done. It's those two little voices. One, you ever remember the ready, the ready, ready battery kind of commercial, and they had the two batteries. I'm probably dating myself here, but they had this commercial, and they had these two little ready batteries. And which one's stronger? What's you know? They had these little voices, you know, and it's kind of like that. If, God, if, if Satan is condemning you, the little voice will whisper in your ear, God doesn't love you. You've got to leave. Get away from God's people. Don't do God's work. Stop doing everything. Go back to your old life. Live the way the world is. You're missing out. All these things start flooding in your mind because you've screwed up. You fell down. So you just, God is not going to let you come back and have fellowship with. And so the, the little whisper happens. That's condemnation. That's from Satan. That's not from God. But if it's the Holy Spirit, God himself, convicting you of sin, then what we will see then is that I can't wait to come to God and say, God, forgive me. God, I, I, I come to you and I ask and I plead with you. I, I know you've forgiven me. I'm coming. I'm just going to lay it at your feet and you're just going to, Pour out your heart to God, and you're going to get around God's people. You're going to look for encouragement. You're going to go to the Word of God. You're not going to put, the Satan wants you to push away from the Word of God. You're going to go to the Word of God. If it's Satan condemning, you, but someone even trying to speak to you with the Word of God or encourage you, you just lash out and you push away because you want nothing to do it. But if, if, you're, if it's conviction, then you're going to say, yes, please, I want to hear the Word of God. I want to receive from you. The Spirit of God deals with me by drawing me to him. He doesn't push me away. I want to confess this and, I, and repent of this. And I don't bottle up and keep it secret and try to rationalize and justify it and, and away what I did. But I sit in his feet and know that God has forgiven me. And he's going to lift me up situation I find myself in. So who condemns? Satan condemns me. People often condemn me. I can even condemn myself. But none of that matters or counts. Jesus is the one who matters and counts. It's his opinion is the only opinion that matters and counts in our life. What he thinks of you, what he's doing in your life, and he is far from condemning you and I. He is actually interceding for you and I on our behalf, as we see in the scripture here in verse 34. He's not only our judge. He's also my sacrifice. But he's also my defense. And he will not condemn his own. And we can go back and look at Romans 8.1 on that one. Why? Because we are secured in God's love. Now, 30, verse 35, we say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to charge us? Who's going to condemn us? But who's going to try to separate us 
from the love of Christ. And then Paul highlights some of these things that potentially could have impact. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? If you look at this scripture in context, you'll see that in context, the scripture shows that it's the love of Christ. It's his love for believers, not our love for him. So with that in context, Paul suggests seven things that a believer might experience. And based on his own personal experience, we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. He experienced all of these that he just named. He experienced all of these things, tribulation down to eventually we will see that he actually will be martyred. He wasn't martyred, obviously, at the time, but eventually he does get martyred. But Paul highlights seven things here that might think could come between a believer and Christ's love. Remember, Christ doesn't shelter you and I from difficulties of life. Why doesn't he shelter us from all these, these lists of seven things? Because he uses these seven things as examples to do a work in you and my life. That's how he refines us. We need them in our life for our spiritual growth. Go back to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5 to read that. That's where he highlights that. But will tribulation, will pressure, will difficulty, setbacks, worry in your life, will that cause you to separate? It won't separate God's love for you. That's what the scripture says. Even as you go through those things, it will not separate God's love for you. God does not change. Will distress, like sorrow, pain, suffering, heartbreak, grief, that will not separate God's love for you, but will it cause you to separate from God? Will persecution that comes in your life, oppression, discrimination, intimidation. That's not going to cause the love of Christ to separate from you. But will it cause you or me to want to separate? Will famine, will nakedness or peril? You see the intensity gets more and more and more here. Even the sword, which means execution, means there's going to be something that's going to take someone's life. Paul understood that, not at the time. He knew it was going to be until ultimately would probably happen, and it did happen. But remember, they do not separate Christians from Christ. Instead, they are part of all things that we read in Romans 8.28, where he says, I will work all things together for good for those who love me, according to the, his purpose. So all of these things that you see, these seven things, will be worked together. You don't, may not understand it. You may not feel it. You may not clearly see it. But you must understand that the love of Christ is going to work all things together for your good. Why? Because he uses all things to bring them to the conformity to his son. 
we are secured in God's love. And then Paul quotes here next in verse 36, Psalm 44, 22. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are, we are, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So Paul quotes from Psalm saying, basically reminds us that in this life, the people of God must face much affliction. We also see that in John 16, 33. We will experience great affliction in our lives. And he will use that for our good because he loves us. In verse 37, he says, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have victory. Did you know that, my brothers and sisters? Did you know we have victory in Christ? You may be going through an affliction today. One of those seven. You may have hit all top five. Some of you, except for the sword, have been around the block maybe two or three times on that list. But Christ has brought you through all of those, haven't you? You've been conquerors over all that because of what he's done in your life, hasn't he? What security that we have for the love that God has shown us. See, none of the sufferings of this present time can separate God's love for us. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what it is, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the troubles we face as Christians are going to be never ending until he takes us home and into his presence in, in heaven. There's nothing new. There's nothing new in the sun. It's been happening to our brothers and sisters from the beginning of time. But every moment of the day we face death, do we not? Every one of us face death every day. We may not think about our death every day. We may not think, as a matter of fact, the younger you are, the more invincible you think you've, uh, you've come. You ride motorcycles and do all kinds of crazy things and jumps. I mean, look at a young boy trying to ride a bike for the first time. He thinks he can, she can jump over a anything and everything and not get hurt. They don't even, they have no concept. But boy, as you get older, you recognize how fragile you really are. So as he recorded the scripture here about the fact that, yes, we, we face death every day. We are to consider no better than the sheep that are marked for slaughter. But nevertheless, in all these difficult situations, we are Winning an overwhelming victory through the one who has proven his love for us. We have victory. That's why we can rest in our relationship with him. We can rest as we serve our Lord. We can rest. The things that go crazy and things that, it doesn't matter. God is in control. God has a plan for you and I. And he just wants you just to be, wake up every morning, talk to him, and just be immediate obedience and do what he's called you to do. Keep your eyes on the Lord because he's given you victory. He's got a plan for you. We are secured in God's love. Now here in verses 38 and 39, Paul in these verses is fully convinced. And he ends his discussion on the believer's security in Christ Jesus and the certainty of their sanctification for you and I. 
absolutely without a doubt in his mind. And he starts here in verse 38 with a very positive, very strong, for I am persuaded. There's no moving him. There's no coming in, oh, let me debate with you, Paul, what you just wrote. Let me debate with you here. Let me see if I can sway you in changing your mind and what you just wrote for the last eight chapters. No, no, no. You're not going to sway this man, and it shouldn't sway you and I after reading all this. Like Paul, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Do you see these two verses, how he, Paul takes it and he puts them in extreme contrast? He says right here, Paul, right, and he kind of adds to back, to, if you go back to verse 35, he kind of adds to that, that listing. He, first he says, neither death nor life, the two extremes of life that we experience. That we as believers in God's presence from life to death, nothing is going to affect God's love for you. Then he goes to the next one. Neither angels nor principalities or powers. Angels would not try to separate you from the love of God. And the principalities and the darkness, the powers, the, the human governments and the demons cannot undo God's love for you. One would not. One matter of fact, when you come to Christ, there's angels singing and praising in heaven. And then Paul goes on and says, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing known in time, nothing anywhere known or unknown in time will separate and come between the love of God for you. Nothing and no one nor height, nor depth. It doesn't matter what's coming from above you or coming from below you. Nothing is going to be able to suddenly just swoop down or cut off a believer from God's love. Nothing. Nor any other created thing. Nothing in God's creation could stop his purpose for, for believers in Christ. There will be no separation from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We belong to Jesus now and forever. Do you believe that? This is an incredible chapter. I pray and I hope that you go back and you read all the way through eight chapters again, but it's specifically chapter eight. Because once you have the solid foundation knowing that you're secured in God's love and nothing you can do or say or mistakes or problems or enemies or others that, that Satan is using others to come against you will separate you from God's love. That's security. So when the tribulations and the trials and tribulations, death, you name the list that we just went through, 
comes at your doorstep, just remember you're secured in God's promise. He will bring you through it without a doubt. God loves me before the foundation of the world. He loved me even when I was a wicked man and wanted nothing to do with him. But God sent his son for me. I heard his voice. I opened up my heart. I allowed that change to take place, that regeneration to take place in my heart. And the desires went from me to his desires put in my heart. And it changed everything in my life. Now I love him. I desire to serve him. You now love him. You now desire to serve him. We are free from judgment because Christ died for us and we have his righteousness. We are free from defeat because Christ lives in us by his spirit and he sh we share in his life. We are free from discouragement because Christ is coming for us and we shall share in his glory. Today we learn that we are free from fear because Christ intercedes for us and we cannot be separated from his love. May we always remember that we are secured in God's love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we do praise you. We do glorify you. We are so thankful and of your grace and your mercy upon us and your love, your unconditional love for us. Thank you for that security in your love. We thank you that we can just boldly come into your throne and just cry out to you. That we don't, we don't have any robots. We can come freely to you. You will hear us. You want to spend time with us. You have a wonderful plan that you just can't wait to share and play that out day by day in our lives. Oh, how we, if we would have surrendered lives that were just, uh, just obedient and an obedient life to uh, hearing your word and just being obedient to it. That we would trust as things come against us that we would just keep our eyes on you and just continue to draw upon your strength and your wisdom and your direction your loving hand, you're directing us as we walk and follow you. Regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, Lord, we're thankful that we were able to come and sit at your feet to hear your voice this morning. Change us, mold us. Fill us afresh, we pray. so thankful for your faithfulness. That's what we hold on to. That's what we draw from. Go before us, we pray, Lord. Help us to take what we know and understand your truth, your facts. That we would stand strong in our walk with you, that regardless of what comes against us, that would not sway us from what you've called us to do, and that is to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as well. Lord, as you guide us and bring people across our paths, those who do not know you, may we share the good news of what we have and what you've done for them. 
but also encourage others in the faith. Our brothers and sisters, encourage them, help them as you lead us. We thank you and we praise you this morning, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen.